Today we're going to look back into Ephesians. Have you been enjoying this series in Ephesians? My goodness, I have been enjoying it. Um, you know, way in the beginning we said this, and the reason that our picture looks like a mountain, a guy climbing a mountain, the historians, the theologians, have referred to Ephesians as the, one person refers to it as the Alps of theology. That it's the highest mountains, the highest grandest peaks of, of uh, theology, of Pauline theology. And it is, it's just, it's so rich. You can't, you know, you, you kind of just put the car in gear and try to go forward and you can't go any further because you've got to unpack, this seems like sentence by sentence, unpack everything the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us. And, and today as we, as we get into it, we're still in Ephesians chapter 1, we're right, right at the end of the first chapter. We're going to continue on with this look of, of Paul's, looking at Paul's prayer that he prays for Christians. And we're getting insight into to what prayer is all about. We're getting insight into what things the Apostle Paul thought were so important in the lives of other people, people he loved, that he said, these are the things I'm going to pray for. And I don't know about you, but that, that just like a big old flag that goes off to me. Anybody know why a flag like that? Tip-up. Thank you. I just realized you'd have no idea when I said flag why I'm doing that. Uh, looks like a tip-up when you're ice fishing. A flag goes off indicating there's a fish pulling on the string. And a flag goes off to me saying, if Paul thought this was important and he prayed this for people, surely I ought to, I ought to be saying, I want these things in my life and I want to pray them for other people. And so we've been kind of breaking down this prayer into segments and, and taking it a chunk at a time. And, and last week as we did that, we looked at the first few things that the Apostle Paul prayed for. And we might have been kind of surprised because he didn't pray the kind of prayer that I think we normally pray. He didn't pray for health and wealth and, and ease. Those weren't even in his, in, they don't even make the list. He didn't pray the kind of things that we often pray for. He didn't pray, oh, well, everything work out good for these people. Not at all, because he understands something. In this world, you will have troubles. He, understand that, he understood that things go on, and the kind of things that often dominate our prayer time, we don't even see mentioned in his prayer. That we found last week that he asked God, first of all, the overriding thing he asked, then he kind of gets specific on areas this would work in, he asked that the Lord would give Christians a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not about what the stock market's going to do, but wisdom and revelation about God himself. That Christians would start to really get a better grasp on who God really is. And that, that he says, he goes on from there, and he says, and God, how, as you give us wisdom and revelation, there's certain areas that, that I'm praying that you will enlighten their hearts for. In other words, that you, will, that you will just shine light into their lives and give them a greater grasp of these important things in their life. And, and last week we looked at two of them. We looked at, we, we, we looked at things that, that he said, I, I pray they have enlightened, that they would know certain things. He said they would know what is the hope of his calling. And we looked at that. What's that mean, him calling us? And then we looked at what they would know what is the riches of his inheritance, that we'd understand this idea of our tension between, between uh, earthly life and eternal existence and, and what that looks like. I use a rope. It was actually two weeks ago because we had a picnic in the middle, but you know this idea that life is that long, but eternity goes on forever. He's getting that he's afraid that we would start to live in that reality. And then he said there was one more thing that we would get enlightenment for, a greater grasp of, and it's what we want to look at today. And he said this that they would know what is his power toward us who believe in him. We would understand something about his power, and essentially he writes it toward us who believe in him. He's not just saying we would understand the power of God. Kind of you could say like, understand the power of dynamite. Okay, that's got power. But he's saying, no, I want to understand your power 
directed toward me. It was interesting when, when I was talking about this, I made some joke to Pastor Mitch last week. I said, hey, do you want to preach next Sunday? Um, because something was going on. And I'm like, hey, you want to preach? And, and uh, he goes, well, it's, it's my, one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible. Talking about, he knew what was coming up next. You're going to talk about the power of God toward us. And so, it's, so Paul's saying, God, help these people understand something more about the power of God that is available, that is pointed at us, that is operating in our lives. So let's read this text so we can hear what Paul prays about these things, and then we'll begin to kind of unearth what he's saying. And, and I want to go all the way back to verse 18. I know we, we read that last week, but I want to go back to put it all in context. So we're going to read chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 18 through 21. It says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? That's what we're thinking about today, and then he kind of expands on it. These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And we'll stop right there, reading about Paul's prayer that we will understand this better. Paul's third request to God on behalf of Christians here is that they would, they would more fully grasp the reality of the surpassing greatness. Look at what he says that. Surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believes. Paul's wanting us to become more aware of the power of God that is actively currently right now being expressed toward us in our own lives as we live for God. Now, as we had a prayer time, a worship time today, and we, we actually in the middle said, God, what we were saying basically, break every chain. What's it a cry to? It's an appeal to his power. We're saying, God, your power is, is available to us. And he prays, God, I pray that these Christians' eyes would be opened and he would begin to understand that God's power is actively being expressed toward us in our lives every single day. I like how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, what he had to say about this. He said this, it is important that we realize what Paul is really praying for here. He said he's not praying that the Ephesians would, would have more power. You know, it's interesting. I remember back when, when uh, some of you, this will date me, but when um, Kim the Toolman Taylor, whatever that show was called, what was that called? Home, tool Time, Home Improvements. And he'd always say, more power, more power. And we'd find in church, I'd have people referring to God's power like that, more power, more power. And it came because they're watching a show and they're making a connection. But Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying something here. He goes, it's not like that at all. We don't, he's saying, we need, we need to realize that he's not praying that the Ephesians would have more power, but that they would, become, they would come to know the greatness of the power of God that is already working in them. And friends, I think this is an incredible key we understand. I think Paul's praying that we get it because we, we don't really get it. And so we miss a lot that's available to us. I think this is a really interesting prayer request because I think it reveals something that tends to be common among those of us who walk with Jesus. I think that we tend to overlook or simply fail to recognize the powerful activity of God in our lives every day, in fact, right this very moment. You see, at first when we come to Jesus, we become aware of God's great power, probably for the first time in our entire lives. 
you know, before Jesus were, were living kind of hopeless lives, wandering through life, focused on things that, that really don't satisfy, longing for something that's lasting and fulfilling, something to fill that emptiness and void in our heart. And then all of a sudden, we meet Jesus. And what's he do? He saves us. And he washes away our sins and he washes away our guilt and he makes us brand new on the inside and he begins to change us from the inside out and he ignites a love in us that we didn't know before. And what we understand is we're experiencing the power of God. And it's amazing. We go, God's powerful. He's right here right now. Talk to any new believer. They don't doubt the power of God. But this is why I think Paul's praying this because then we begin what I want to call the long walk of discipleship. And it is a long walk. Depending on when you come to Christ, some walks are longer than others, this side of heaven. We begin the long walk of discipleship. And oftentimes in that long walk of discipleship, we, we can kind of, kind of our, our, our vision gets clouded over. We almost get spiritual cataracts and we stop recognizing the transformation that's happening by the Holy Spirit um, and we don't see things as drastically as before because it was easy when the big things fell away. We recognize, wow, the power of God took away that habit. But then God starts narrowing in and drilling in. He starts dealing with character issues. And I'm telling you what, the bad habits go a whole lot quicker than the character issues. Pride, selfishness, greed, all those things. It takes, God takes years to drill down and reveal those things to us. And in that long walk of discipleship, we don't recognize often the transformation as drastically as we did before. Or maybe in the long walk of discipleship, we kind of get diverted and we stop really walking in step with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we don't go to church, but we stop walking in step with the Holy Spirit and we stop growing and developing and we're not recognizing, really, that that power is available to us, but we're, kinda, we're hindering the activity of the Spirit in our lives. And during the journey of discipleship, we often tend to think more about what we can do. We kind of say, after a couple of years, maybe, I got this thing figured out. It's a, that's a completely natural thing that happens to us when we walk with Jesus. We go, yeah, I got this thing figured out. I, I, I pretty much know it. I can tell you what to do. I've got it figured out. We tend to think more about what we do, how we obey what we give up and we may fail to recognize the power of God that is always at work within us every moment of the day. And I think this is why Paul prays this prayer for Christians. He wants us to realize that God's great power is always at work and that we need to live lives of dependence on his power and not dependence solely on our self-effort. Because I'll tell you this, if you live a life a life focused on your spiritual life that's energized solely by your self-effort, that is a way that will lead you to exhaustion and frustration. You'll say, this, this just stinks. I'm trying and trying and trying. And God's trying to say, you're, doing, you're trying to do something with your power that you never intended to do with your power. I want to do it with my power. So Paul prays. This is kind of my, the Mark translation of Paul's prayer. He prays, Father, open their eyes to the reality of your great power that is expressed towards all of us who believe. It's expressed to all of us who are building our lives upon you. That's his prayer. See, Paul knows from experience that if we do have our hearts enlightened to the reality of God's power continually at work within us, then we won't live lives of limitation. We won't live lives of saying things like, you know what, I can't do that. You know, you say, I say to you, 
hey, I think maybe God wants you to do this. And you go, I can't. And what you're really saying is, I don't have the ability. Or you'll say, I can't because it's impossible. It's beyond me. Or, or that vision from God is, is too big. Well, you know what? We say that because we truly don't know what the Apostle Paul wants us to get. That all things are possible to those who believe. We wouldn't say, I can't. We would say, maybe I can't, but God's power in me can. I can't, but God can. We would recognize our failures and our bad habits and our limited thinking um, are more a matter of Uh, that are no match for God's power at all. All those things, those those struggles in our lives, those struggles in our lives are nothing when we understand the power of God that's displayed, that wants to be displayed in our lives. He is the God of ultimate and limitless power and that power, look how Paul says it, is directed toward us who believe. So Paul wants us to think about how God's power is directed towards us who believe. Especially if we want to remind us of those who are in the long walk of discipleship, this long journey of discipleship, who maybe right now are going, yeah, I haven't seen his power, felt his power too much for a long time. Well, I think a really good way to grasp on to this um, idea of the power is to think about three things. What he has done in our lives by his power, what he currently is doing in our lives by his power, and what he promises to do in our lives all by his power. And I think it'll get, it's going to open our eyes. You know, but what's Paul's prayer? That we would have enlightenment. And that's my prayer today, that we would have enlightenment. That he would like, a light bulb would go on and you'd go, oh wow, I didn't really get that before. Now I get it clearer than I ever have before. So let's think about this. Let's think about God's power displayed to us in what he has done, what he is doing, what he promises to do. So the question is, what has he done in our lives? In the lives of those who are Christians, you've said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about people who have not yet made a decision, but you have not, you've not yet bowed your knee, you've not yet said, I'm going to follow Jesus, but for any of us in here who've said, I have made Jesus Lord of my life. What has he done in our lives, in the lives of those who are Christians, what has he done by his great power? Well, the simplest thing they'll say, and the easiest way to sum it up is simply say this, he saved us. That's what he's done, he saved us. Friends, we say that little word as if it's nothing. Oh, I got saved. Friends, getting saved is a big deal. It's all and only about his power. Church, your salvation is all about the power of God directed toward you. Salvation is all about God. It's not about you. This is what scripture teaches us. He chose you. He draws you to himself. He even empowers you to say yes to him when he calls you. When, when you respond, yes, he's the one who breathes the life of the Spirit into you. He's the one who then washes away all of your sins. He's the one who then imparts his own righteousness to you. And he's the one who now makes you someone who will never spiritually die again. It's all about his power working in you. So we go, oh, I got saved. <laughs> it's a lot bigger than, oh, I got saved. It was all about his power. But I think we have begun to forget this, maybe more than any culture in the past, because we have this great emphasis on, on personal salvation, and that's important, personal salvation, and our need to receive Jesus into our lives, which means we're going to become a follower of Jesus in our lives. 
But maybe in our attempt to help people respond to Jesus' call in their lives, we have placed more effort upon our responding to his call than his calling us in the first place. And it's more about me than it is about he. And then we get that backwards. You see, um, for many today, they tend to think of salvation more in terms of choosing Jesus. Have you ever seen this bumper sticker or heard somebody say this? And if you said it, I don't mean to offend you. You say to somebody, oh, just try Jesus. You understand how you can't just try Jesus? That maybe even a lot of people who say they're believers aren't really believers because they're just trying Jesus. Friends, it's the power of God at work in someone to save someone who is lost. He chooses us and we respond. I don't just wake up one day and say, I want to try Jesus. I tried, I tried you know, uh, 1% milk instead of 2% milk yesterday. You know, I tried that. Oh, I tried almond milk instead of regular milk. I tried that, you know. And, oh, I'm going to try Jesus today. It's not at all how it works. And maybe that's why some people are really disappointed in their faith because they think they're just trying Jesus instead of recognizing it's God's call going out to them and what they are really doing. The only reason that they're even responding is because the power of God is literally transforming them and allowing them to respond where before they never even knew they had a need. It was the power of God that showed them they had a need. It's all about the power of God. And maybe the best way to help us realize the enormity of God's power in salvation is to remind ourselves of what God has accomplished through our salvation. You see, Scripture says some amazing things about you before you are saved. It says amazing things about you after you are saved. But Scripture says that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And the reason for that is because the effects of sin has made it impossible for any human to just simply choose to follow Jesus because the scriptures tell us that man's heart and his mind are set against God because of sin. That's what the scriptures say is the reality of humankind. In man's fallen state, anybody before Jesus, in man's fallen state, from the day you're born, scripture says a person's understanding is darkened. That is, their mind is in a state of spiritual darkness because of sin. That doesn't simply mean that a person is ignorant of the truth of the gospel. And that's why people think, sometimes, I can just convince people to serve Jesus. I can just debate them into serving Jesus. It doesn't work. Because it's not a matter of simply meaning a person is ignorant to the truth of the gospel. It means that even when the gospel is explained, they cannot understand it. Or see it. Second Corinthians 4, 3, and 4, and I think we have that on the overhead, says this. It says, And even, in our, in, even if our gospel is veiled or covered up, like wearing a veil, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, who's that? Satan, we forget that sometimes. Jesus makes it very clear that Satan is the God of this world. The reason the kingdom is coming is, he is his kingdom is now pushing back the kingdom of darkness. So it says, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel. Natural born fallen man cannot on his own, by his own power, come to a saving relationship with Christ. There is a blindness that can only become overcome by the power of God as he brings illumination. That's what the scriptures say. It's all about God's power. 
But it doesn't stop there with a person's mind. It's also, the scriptures say, a matter of the condition of a person's heart. Scripture says man's heart has been hardened and that it is deceitful and that it is twisted and that it is perverted. You know, when God gave his opinion of man in the days of Noah, he said man's heart is just always evil continually. That's what he said. That's, that's lost humanity, people without Jesus. Not that you can't do something good, but he says you're, you're deceitful, you're twisted, and you're perverted. There's something about an unsaved heart which turns man against his own better judgment at times, and we all know that. Before Jesus, how many times we do things that are contrary to our better judgment. This is how we often rationalize our sin. We can know something's wrong, but we do it anyways. We convince ourselves that we are better than we really are when somebody says you need a Savior, and you say, well, not really. My good outweighs my bad, and we go, but that's not the point. We kind of convince ourselves we're better than they are because we at least we say, well, at least I'm better than the axe murderer, so I must be better. But the prophet Jeremiah describes our heart like this before Jesus. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says about a person's heart. Church, this is the condition of every heart and every mind without Jesus. And the only way anyone can believe or receive, the only way anybody can try Jesus is because of the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's what Paul's saying. God, help them to see Shine the light of the Spirit. Illuminate their mind and their hearts. God, their darkened, their darkened hearts and their corrupted minds. God, that they would understand the surpassing greatness of His power towards us believe. And then He's saying to these Christians who are not anymore blinded and their hearts have been renewed, but God, help them to see that my power is really active and resident in you all the time right now. My power was there. That's how you got saved. Your salvation, friends, is a revelation of the miraculous power of God towards you. It could only happen because of his power. The Bible says this, and we say it glibly, but we don't think of what it means. For by grace you have been saved. You know what grace is? Grace is simply the power of God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's how Dallas Willard defines grace. I think it's the best definition. We always say grace, unmerited favor. That's true. But Dallas Willard's definition of grace is the best ever, I think. Grace is God's power doing for you what you can't do for yourself. That's what salvation is all about. You've been saved by grace. It's a display of the power of God. Does that make sense? Do you think maybe there's been a little bit of power exerted in your life to come to Jesus? There has been. But let's move on. Let's move past what God um, has, has done already for you with his power. And now let's look, think about what he is doing right now with his power. See, God's power is at work in your life right now. His power is at work in your life, transforming you into a reflection of himself. You understand that? That you are a masterpiece in progress. And what, you're, what the picture is being painted to look like is a reflection of the glory of God himself. Because he's causing his character to be developed in you. That's what he's working on. He's causing your character to be developed in you, and that's a masterpiece. Now, we call this process either maturing or we call it sanctification. It's a process of becoming more like the Lord, giving up the old and taking on His character and His nature. This process, um, like salvation, is all about His power in you. 
You can accomplish none of it on your own. You see, yes, we need to partner with him as he brings transformation. And yes, you can resist his influence or ignore his influence. And you can stay stuck in your immaturity and your carnality from the day you get saved to the day you go to heaven, and you'll still go to heaven. But it's not God's plan. His plan is to paint you into a masterpiece. And you need to partner with that. But it's all about you partnering with his power because you cannot bring transformation to yourself on your own. The Apostle Paul speaks of this much more fully to the people in Philippi. And I'm not sure why he did it to the people in Philippi. Maybe he looked at the people of Philippi and said, you guys are a mess. I'm not sure. But in the people in Philippi, he wrote a lot more about this power of God directed towards you in in transformation. And so Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this. It says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In my Bible, you know what's underlined? The word he. For I am confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's the one who began a good work in you, and God's the one who's continuing it on. Listen. Listen to what Paul says about this, expanding on it, just one chapter later in Philippians, in Philippians 2.13. Look what he says. He says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Who's it about here? Us or God? God is working in you. That's about the transformation process, about sanctification, maturing. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look at that. God is the one working in you. God is the one giving you the very desire to grow and mature, and God is the one supplying you the power so that you can do any of it in the first place. It's all about the power of God in you. No wonder Paul prays, God, enlighten them so they will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Nothing about our spiritual lives is accomplished by our own power. And he's trying to say, I don't want you guys to waste your energy and think it's about you. I want you to understand it's about relying on God. Everything is accomplished by his power toward us. And his power is so great and it's so limitless. Paul says in in verse 20 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, what we read already, he says, talking about that infinite power, he says that it is the same power working in us as was present to raise Jesus from the grave. He's trying to say, listen, this is some pretty astounding power. The power of God displayed in the resurrection of Jesus conquered the greatest enemy mankind has ever known. He conquered death. The thing that God said would happen if people sinned. Jesus is the first one ever who conquered death. So the question we have to say, if that power is resident in me and that power is working in me, can we really say then that anything in our lives is too difficult for God to handle? Can we really say, God, I've got to take over this one because I'm just pretty sure you can't do it? No. Nothing is too hard for God. So, his power is displayed in our salvation. His power is displayed in our current transformation. And friends, you know what? You've got to hook up with that power. He's saying, I want to bring transformation into your life. 
but we need to partner with him as he calls us. We say, okay, God, I want to I I get on board with you. Make me a different person. But God, it's all about you. It's not about my self-effort. It's about putting me in itself in a position where you can transform me. But there's another way that God's power is displayed towards us that I want us to think about today as a final thing. What's God's, what God's power will do for us in the future? Let's look at what Paul wrote to the Philippians again to, to think about this. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's the next chapter in your Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You, I hope you walk away and you go, I didn't realize that it just, Scripture over and over and over and over and over talks about how everything in my life is related to the power of God. And I say, how do we miss this sometimes? Why did Paul have to say, you guys are missing it. I've got to pray that God will help you see it clearer. I'm praying, God, illuminate my mind because I, I've been blown away doing this thing. I, everything's tied to the power of God. And it's amazing. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, look what it says. For our citizenship, this is looking forward, is in heaven. And we have it now, but we're waiting, for which we also eagerly wait. It's a future for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at what it says in verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. As Christians, we are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. And friends, he's coming back again. And I've got to tell you, in the current situation in this world, I hope it's before I'm done with my sermon. I do. And it could be. I pray with the apostle, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. I wish it was today. But you know why he says he doesn't come? You know why he says the only reason he's restraining from returning? He will someday, but he's restraining only so that more people have a chance to respond to the gospel. He says that's the only reason he's waiting. That's what scripture says. As Christians, we are eagerly awaiting for Jesus' return. And at his return, what's it say in the text here? He, by his power, will transform these fleshly bodies into glorified bodies, free from sin's corruption. You know, we think of that in the, in the sense always of, of physicality. You know what? Here's what I concluded today. My ears aren't big enough to hold any more stuff. They have to hold up glasses so I can see you, now hearing aids so I can hear you, and then I have to stick on a microphone so you can hear me. I'm like, God, my ear's not big enough. It's like it's shoved out three inches from my head. It's not big enough. So I go, in heaven, no glasses, no hearing aid, no sore back, no flat feet, all this stuff. God, bring it on, you know? But he's talking about so much more than that. He will transform his physical body. But can you understand the reason for all of this problems is because of sin ruling. And in heaven, he's going to transform us and put us, give us spiritual bodies like his own and we not only will we be without the backache and I can see and I can hear and that's all cool, but I won't struggle with sin. Friends, when you're having conflict, when things are going on in your lives, it's always only the result of the devil initiating sin. Pride and selfishness and, and greed, it's all just the devil influencing us and he's insidious, we don't always see it. In heaven, he's going to transform us and my mind and my heart and my body won't even be in any way succumb to that and I'll for the first time know what it's like to live without the bondage of the influence of sin. 
Because even as believers, we're being transformed, but the devil's still the ruler of the world. But he's saying, look it, look forward. He said, you've, he goes, you can believe me because my power was present to save you. My power is present. It's changing you. And my promise is my power is going to be present in the future, and I'm going to completely transform you all by the power of God. He will do all that, be glorified in our body, which has physical ramifications and just spiritual ramifications. He'll do it all by the exertion of his power. Our future, our futures, friends, rely solely upon the power of God. Friends, that's why there is no room for human pride. Christians, churches, make mistakes. We say, aren't we wonderful? Aren't we great? You know, I said today, you're the greatest people around. You are. But if I think this, then I go this. And we're better than them. What's the motivation in that? Pride. Friends, there's no room for pride. None. Why? Because none of it has anything to do with me. The very fact that I have any abilities to communicate, the very fact that you have any abilities to respond is only because God gave you the ability and gave me the ability. It's not about us. It's all a gift. By grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that what? What's it say? That no one will boast. No bragging. It's all about the power of God. No room for human pride. It's all about God's power. All of life and all of eternity is possible because of God's great power towards us. Now, in, in light of all of this, God's power displayed in what he has done in our salvation. God's power displayed in what he's doing in our transformation and our maturing. God's power going to be displayed in all of eternity towards us. We have to ask, do we really think there's anything in our lives that God can't handle if we give it to him? Is there really anything that God can't handle? Or think of this. Do you really think you or anyone else is just too bad, too far gone for God to save them? If the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the reason for Jesus being, of us being saved, friends, I've got to tell you something. That same power can save anybody who says yes to the call of God. Some of you are thinking your, your spouses or your kids or your neighbor or your co-workers just too far gone. No, they're not. That's why God used people like Paul. Because the Apostle Paul said, I was the worst. How could you be much worse than being a person who killed Christians? I can't think of any example of being worse. He was so anti-Christian, he killed Christians. He's recorded in the Bible as a Christian killer. But then the power of God was displayed in his life. And he said yes to the power of God. And he became the greatest, outside of Jesus, probably the greatest voice for Christianity in the history of the world. You think that anyone, any of you, are too far gone to come to Jesus? The answer is a resounding, absolute no. Right? Friends, thinking of this, and I mentioned this on Wednesday night in our, in our class. That's what prayer is all about. 
Prayer is simply an appeal to God's power. It's a cry for God to do what only he can do. It's a cry for grace. That's all prayer really is. It's saying, God, I can't and you can't and God loves it when we finally get it. So what do you need to pray about today? I know people have already prayed. You've been praying. I think you can never pray too much. What do you need to pray about today? What do you need to appeal to the power of God for today? Physical issues? Family salvation? Strongholds that just seem to hold you back? What is it? Here's what I know. God's power is great. And we can trust Him. Call out to Him. As the worship team comes today, I encourage you. Spend some time. Come and pray. Appeal to God for Him to do what only He can do. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, Your word is so rich with the truth that everything is always only about your power toward us. And God, what an amazing thing for us to get. It's not about us striving. It's not about self-effort. Yes, we partner with you and sometimes you call us to, 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 to run a long, hard race. But it's still always only energized by your power. And so God, this is my prayer today. My prayer is the prayer for me and for all of us that that Paul prayed for these people. That God, you would open our eyes to the reality of your great power. That great power that is expressed toward all of us who believe. All of us who have built our lives on you. And that, God, you would right now in our hearts and our minds begin to open up our understanding. So that then, God, our minds are renewed by the washing of the word and we begin to change how we live. We walk in a sense of confidence because we know my God can do anything. And even if things aren't working the way I think they ought to, I am confident that you love me so much that you actually are working. And it's just something that's beyond me and bigger than me. And and I, I can trust in your love and your power. Because your power is great, we know you can do anything. But because your love is who you are, we know you always act in goodness towards your people. So God, help us to trust you. Maybe you're here today. And you have never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe somebody falsely just said, oh, try Jesus. But what you're recognizing today, right now in the depths of your heart, is something is real. And you're saying, I have a compulsion that says this is right. That compulsion is the power of God saying, I want you to come. That's the call of God. That's the display of power. But there's another little voice in your head right now. And it's saying, you know what? You don't need to do this. Saying, you know what? This is just emotionalism. You know what? You need to think about it. I would say this, friends. That's not a display of the power of God. That is the enemy trying to keep you from saying yes to God. So if you're here today... And you say, you know what, I I know I'm feeling this compulsion. Something inside of me is saying, this is for me. 
I want to give you a chance to respond to that. So I simply say this, their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus today, I want you to do something bold between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. I want you to raise up your hand right now so I can see it. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want you to pray with. You say, I need Jesus in my life. I really think God wants, there's, there's at least somebody in here, and, I, and I'm not going to belabor, I'm not going to twist your arm, but I just have a sense in my spirit that you're saying, I need this today. If that's you right now, just acknowledge it. Look at me and say, this is for me. I need it. Just look me right in the eye so I can know who to pray with. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's all about your power. All of it. And Lord, I would pray this right now in this long journey of discipleship. Would you open up our minds to the fact that you really are engaged in our lives right now? And Lord God, that as you are shining your light into our lives, that we would be quick to say yes to you. Which oftentimes means we need to repent, change direction. It means to admit our failures and our faults. Uh, we, need to, we need to move forward. We need to say, okay, God, I want to get better, so I'm going to do what you call, call me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to say yes. I'll, I'll apologize. I'll do what I need to do to that family member or friend. I'll do whatever, God. That's our just partnering with you, but you would empower it all. And that, God, we would grow and we would mature and we would develop for your glory. So, church, let's just spend some time praying, inviting the power of God to come in and change our lives. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, please quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. But let's not run off until we're done doing business with God.